I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we're going to be talking about missing people, people that have gone missing from national parks. That means disappearances. They went into national parks, some were never seen again, and others, their bodies were found under mysterious circumstances. But before I get to that, let's talk about some shout-outs here. We've got Laura. We've got Daniel. We've got another Laura. Who are these people, you might be asking? Well, these are the people that are the best friends of Paranormal Almanac. My personal saviors, they are the best. They are helping support this show, and you can too, for as little as a dollar a month. Go over to Patreon. You know, I spend hours every week researching, writing, recording, and yes, even editing, despite some people saying maybe I should edit a little bit more or less. But even editing this show, so hopefully you guys really enjoy it. I'm getting a lot of great feedback from you, and I appreciate everybody listening. But if you want to be like Laura, Daniel, and Laura for being patrons, they get some cool stuff. And I'm trying to add more and more stuff all the time, because I really want to thank all the patrons out there. I have enough stuff written that I might do an I might do an episode that is only for the patrons, a full episode just for the patrons, but um, we'll see how we'll see how much time I have. I'll put it that way that I maybe be I might be able to do that coming up very soon. Go over to Patreon, find Paranormal Almanac, and if you'd like to, I'd love to have you over there. I'd love to have you over there as well. Next up, I started sending out Paranormal Almanac stickers this week. So it took me a little bit longer. It took me a few days longer than I thought it would do to write out all of the addresses on the envelopes. But if you've DM'd me your address, and it's only for specific people, but if those people that were listening that did it, and they'll know because I've responded, but if you did, if you sent me your address, keep an eye out. If you want to know how to get your own Paranormal Almanac sticker, well, then you really need to listen to the whole show because it's all there if you know when to listen for. All right, let's move on to some paranormal news. First up, a news article came out about the best and worst places in America to see UFOs. And happily for me, California, where I'm at, has one of the highest numbers of UFO sightings in the country at 23,419. Some of the states with the lowest odds of seeing UFOs are Florida, Texas, and New York. And that's basically 3,400 to 1 for Florida and Texas and 2,500 to 1 for New York. So keep an eye out still, but your odds aren't that great. Other states that have a high number of UFO sightings include Texas at 8,000, over 8,000 sightings, and Missouri at 7,467 sightings. New Mexico has over 6,000 UFO sightings, And Arizona 
is one of the states where you're least likely to encounter a UFO. Although that's very strange considering that the Arizona Lights, which is one of the biggest, most widely seen UFO incidents in modern history, happened over Arizona. Just recently, there were two pilots that saw a UFO over Arizona that I talked about. So this news article is very interesting and seems relatively common sense. I mean, the more sightings you have, the more area you have, the more government bases you have near you, they seem to have more and more sightings. Now, again, I'm using the term UFO in its actual term, unknown flying object. I'm sure most of these sightings, especially in California, are unknown military aircraft, are secret spy planes. I'm very well aware of that. Don't worry, skeptics. I'm taking that into consideration. But in total, there have been 259,691 UFO sightings over the U.S. in the past 78 years. And that seems to be a fairly accurate number. Some have a little bit higher, some have a little bit lower. But just that number alone doesn't account for secret spy planes and military aircraft, so something else is out there, as we all know. Another interesting thing that this article had was that more than 40,000 Americans have taken out insurance against being abducted by aliens. I don't know how much that insurance costs, and I don't know how they'd pay out, but uh, apparently 40,000 people think it's a good thing to have. You want to know more about this? You can go over to casino.org slash UFO odds or just Google casino.org UFO odds. Again, it's a very fun, very interesting article that uh, I agree with most of it. Next up, Monster Week returns to Animal Planet this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, including all things cryptid. So if you want to get some more fill of cryptid stuff, you can head on over to Animal Planet for Monster Week. I know I'm going to be watching. Okay, so let's get into this week's edition. People that have gone missing in national parks. Is it paranormal? Well, yes and no. It's most definitely unexplained and even more definitely terrifying. But there is a crazy amount of people that have disappeared in U.S. national parks. People keep disappearing from national parks, sometimes directly in front of people, right in front of them. They suddenly disappear, seemingly instantly. How many people, you might be asking? Well, shockingly, that's a mystery. Because the National Park Service doesn't keep track of missing persons. It doesn't know how many individuals have disappeared in its parks. And if you were to ask, they'd tell you, quote, we don't know. Why is that? Well, it's probably for a couple of different reasons. They don't want to scare a bunch of people away from going to these national parks. How they make their bread and butter is tourists. If you freak out enough tourists and tell them people keep disappearing, people aren't going to go to these spots. Another thing is, I don't know how much manpower they have to keep track of all these missing people. So, like I said, there's a lot of theories as to what is happening, and I'm sure I'll get into that in just a bit. But let's talk about some of these disappearances first. Now, the first few all come from the Smoky Mountain regions, which I've talked about on here before on the Appalachian Trail episode. And they're from all different decades. 
The first one took place on June 4th, 1969, when six-year-old Dennis Martin was playing with his brother and two other boys in the park's Spence Field while on an annual family camping trip. They were planning to sneak up on their family and startle them. So the family were all in the center. They all went around the tree line and they all separated around the tree lines as well. But when the boys ran and jumped on the adults, Dennis was nowhere to be found. Now, they did say that Dennis was wearing bright clothes. So the other boys told Dennis to stay in this far corner. We're going to go around the other sides on the count of whatever. We're all going to jump out. We're going to scare the adults. It's going to be hilarious. But again, when they went to jump out and scare the adults, Dennis was gone. He simply vanished within minutes. And his body was never found. A massive manhunt looked for Dennis for weeks, but he was never seen again. And the boy said that where he was going and the path that he was taking was the tree line right by the campers. There was no noises. There was no animal sounds. There was no sounds of a scuffle or an abduction. He just simply vanished right from the edge of the trees by where all of his family members were. They never heard a scream. They never heard anything. Sadly, they never found Dennis ever again. The next one is from October 8th, 1976. While on a horticulture field trip with 40 of her classmates, 16-year-old Trenny Lynn Gibson was hiking along Andrews Bald. Now, the thing about that one is the hike wasn't exactly rugged. It shouldn't have been an issue, and no one can, resol- no one can recall seeing her after 3 p.m., Searches continued for months, but just like Dennis, no traces of Gibson was ever found. She was within sight. She was on a trail. And again, it wasn't exactly a rugged trail, and she simply disappeared. Now, I'll get to something in a minute, so I know what I know. a couple of you are already screaming. These people are in the woods. It's in the deep woods of the national parks. What lives in the woods? We'll get to that. Don't worry. Let's move on to the next one. 58-year-old Thelma Pauline Melton was hiking near Deep Creek Campground, and this is a trail that she had been on numerous times. And this was in September 25th, 1981, to give you a timeline. She was with her friends when she walked ahead of them and vanished over a hill. And I mean barely vanished over a hill. It wasn't like she was an hour ahead of them. She was just a little bit ahead of them, went over the hill, The odd thing is, when they got to that hill, she was gone, disappeared. They couldn't find her on the other side, nor could they find her at the campground where she was staying. In a matter of minutes, on an open, visible trail, she just disappeared, and just like the other two, she was never seen again. There was no screams, there was no scuffles, there was no nothing, there was no cliff that she could have fallen off of. It was a trail and she simply disappeared. Now, next up is a couple that disappeared in Arizona near the Grand Canyon, but the thing about this one, I'm still going to leave it on this list, but the thing about this one is, it's possibly been explained very recently. This one is about Bessie and Glenn Hyde, and they were honeymooning in northern Arizona at the Grand Canyon when they simply vanished. They were traveling down the Colorado River in a small boat, and this was in October of 1928, and they planned a boat through the Grand Canyon. Bessie would have been the first woman ever to do it successfully, so it was a big deal. 
Now, Glenn, though, was very experienced, and he had run very tough, rapid waters before. Even though Bessie was a novice, she was with an experienced outdoorsman. The couple ran across other boaters a few weeks before their disappearance who said they got the feeling that Bessie wanted to turn back, but Glenn was pushing her on. If they had completed the trip successfully, they could have gone on a paid lecture tour. But, like the others before this, supposedly, seemingly, they just disappeared. Their boat was found still fully stocked, but the couple, quote-unquote, were never seen again. Here's where this one gets interesting. An old woman claiming to be Bessie reappeared on the river years later. And I'm talking 1971. Remember, this was 1928 when they went missing. And in 1971, she reappeared. This elderly woman announced over the evening campfire that she was Bessie Hyde. When a boatman asked, knowing the story of Glenn and Bessie Hyde, well, what did you do with Glenn? She said, flat out, no joking aside, she said, I killed him. She said that they had had a fight. She stabbed Glenn and hiked out of the canyon and just simply hiked away, caught a bus back east to start a new life. Now, another odd thing is, separate from this woman, a bullet-pierced skull was found in the garage of a deceased river guide. And this was a veteran river guide. She had been a river guide for years. It was once she passed away, it was discovered her real name was Bessie. And they also found the Hyde's marriage certificate in her belongings. So this one doesn't seem too mysterious and definitely not paranormal. It seems like, depending on which woman you talk about, one of these women's probably telling the truth. And I'm going to go with the woman who had the marriage certificate and a bullet-pierced skull in her garage. I wanted to keep this one on here because Bessie and Glenn Hyde, their story is often attributed to UFOs or the paranormal or a parallel dimension. They simply vanished and disappeared and their boat was fully stocked and why did it happen? This one is not mysterious. I'm leaving it on here to try and debunk other people from continuing to tell this story as something paranormal. Now, one of the other odd things are is how clustered the locations of strange legends, mysterious occurrences, and disappearances are in the national parks. Now, this can kind of be explained because they're popular national parks, so more people are going to them. So, of course, more people would probably have the opportunity, or not opportunity, but the unfortunate occurrence of disappearing from these national parks. It is worth noting that there is a map that show where all these people have disappeared, and they are clustered. And one of these clusters is in Yosemite National Park, and it's a place called Tanaya Canyon. And it's been called the Bermuda Triangle of Yosemite. And it was rumored to be cursed by Chief Tanaya of the Awani tribe. Now, supposedly he cursed it when his son was killed in a fight with settlers, and he put a curse upon the land. That curse has supposedly been responsible for claiming the lives of a lot of people, and one of them, is 14-year-old Stacy Ann Aris, and this was in 1981. On the afternoon of July 17, 1981, Aris was on a camping trip with her father and six others at the Sunrise Sierra Camp. And it's a small cluster of cabins for people passing through on hikes along this, quote, popular mountain chalet loop. Now, it seems that Aris had arrived on horseback, and once she got to this little camp, 
she wanted to go and take some photos of a nearby lake. Since it's not that far, her father said, it's no big deal, you can go by yourself. But another member of the group, a 72-year-old man, decided to go along with her. Here's where it gets weird. As they approached the lake, the man reportedly sat down to take a rest as Eris went on ahead. Now, in the meantime, other members of the groups looked down on the whole thing from a ridge and watched as Eris disappeared into some trees. When she didn't return within a reasonable length of time, the group went off looking for her, but would only find the lens of her camera and no other trace of the girl whatsoever. Just like with almost all the others, an extensive official search of the area using helicopters and tracker dogs went out looking for her, but again with no luck. Eventually, it was called off. They had no evidence as to what happened to Stacy or where she had gone. Now, the park superintendent at the time would say, quote, she seems to have just disappeared. Where she disappeared was not treacherous at all, and how quickly she disappeared from when those people up on the ridge saw her, when that man that went with her last saw her, she disappeared almost immediately. In that exact same region in 2005, 51-year-old Michael Allen Fisery, who was an avid, experienced hiker and backpacker, simply disappeared. Now, he was headed out on a hike along the north end of the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir, but at some point changed his mind and went up to the Pacific Crest Trail. And this would be the last spot that anyone would ever see him. When he didn't return after his wilderness permit expired, a search party was carried out, but all that was ever found of him was a backpack containing a topographical map, a camera, and a bottle of water. They did a massive search, and I'm talking a huge search. It was over five counties, and it included aircraft and tracker dogs, but they were unable to find any trace of Michael Allen Fisery. This is another man that just simply disappeared who was very experienced. Now, his backpack, the map, the bottle of water, all of his stuff was fine. It wasn't like it was torn off him. It wasn't like he stumbled down or fell down a cliff or was attacked by a bear or a mountain lion because I know a lot of you people are screaming that. His backpack was fine. He just simply disappeared. Let's go back a little further. In the summer of 1938, four-year-old Alfred Beelharts was on a fishing and camping trip with his family at Colorado's Rocky Mountain National Park. Now, as the boy and his parents were taking a hike along a river, Alfred simply disappeared. One moment he had been there walking in a line behind them, and the next the parents turned around to find that he was nowhere to be found, gone without a trace. They didn't hear him shout or scream or hear him fall or anything like that. Now, the search for him was odd as well. They figured he'd fallen in the river, which is a very logical assumption. So authorities blocked the river downstream and started searching using bloodhounds. Now, here's why I say it's odd. The dogs didn't get far before they just stopped and laid down, which I'm sure I don't have to tell you is very odd behavior for search dogs. Even more bizarre than this was an odd report that came in from some hikers in the same area. And this was in the early stages of the search party. The very day after Alfred had vanished. So the very next day, hikers in the same area, there were a couple, they had been on the Old Fall River Road about six miles away, and they were in very rugged terrain. And they were also around 3,000 feet higher from where Alfred had disappeared. Now, at the time, they had no idea that there was a missing boy in the area, 
yet they reported seeing a rather worrying sight. What they said was they'd seen a young boy perched upon a high ridge in the area, ominously called, quote, the devil's nest, and that was the near the top of Mount Chaplin. The hikers reported that the boy had been seen sitting alone up there, very forlorn, when suddenly he was moved out of sight. And when I say moved out of sight, the hiker said it had appeared as if he were being, quote, jerked back. At the time, the hiker said they couldn't figure out how this young boy got so high up in this rugged terrain, higher up than they were. And again, remember, at the time, they were 3,000 feet higher than where Alfred was when he disappeared. But they couldn't figure out how, how a boy alone could have gotten up to this devil's nest. The other odd thing about this one, and if that isn't odd enough, which, trust me, that one's very odd, what the hell caused him to jerk back? How did he even get up there? But another odd thing about this one is Bigfoot has been attributed to his disappearance, but when I really researched it, there's not a lot of evidence or proof for this theory, in my opinion. Now, this one is very odd for a number of reasons. How the hell did a four-year-old in one day hike over 3,000 feet higher than where his parents were? And obviously, he didn't fall in the river. So how did he get up and out of their sight so quickly? This one's very bizarre. And it doesn't, if a mountain lion had grabbed him, there would have been screaming. The parents were right there directly in front of him. They would have heard the screaming. Same thing for a bear attack or any kind of animal attack. Now, obviously, he didn't fall in the river, which, again, was the best theory, because supposedly he was spotted by hikers way up the trail. The hikers were investigated by the police and released, so it wasn't these hikers. Something happened to this boy almost instantaneously, and the next time he was seen, 24 hours later, he was in a spot where no four-year-old could have ever gotten to. Okay, let's move on to this next one. In 1992, 12-year-old Kenny Miller was on a hiking trip along the Pacific Crest Trail with his family. Now, to give you some backstory on Kenny, he is developmentally disabled, and he was last seen throwing pebbles into a creek in an area called Mice Meadows. And he had allegedly been out of his parents' sight for just a few minutes before he vanished completely. As with every one of these, an intensive search party happened, but they were unable to locate any trace of the boy or where he'd gone off to. Now, sadly, a month later, some hikers discovered Kenny's body in the Carson Pass area west of Mice Meadows. The body was found on a soaring ridge in very treacherous, very rocky, brush-choked terrain, and this was nearly 1,500 feet higher than where he had mysteriously gone missing. Again, it was unclear how this mentally challenged boy, who, according to the reports, had the mental capacity of about a four-year-old, how he had managed to get 1,500 feet higher up to this very treacherous terrain on his own. The cause of death was thought to be exposure, but it was unclear just what had happened. This is another instance where, logically speaking... They started searching the meadows because they thought he had fallen into water. They thought he'd been attacked by an animal. But again, they found him 1,500 feet higher with no explanation of how he could have got there. This next one doesn't have a lot of information. It's about an unnamed seven-year-old boy who vanished from in front of his home in Arizona. 
Now, bloodhounds were unable to pick up his scent trail, and an aerial search turned up nothing. Now, he was eventually located two days later, dazed and wandering about in the desert 20 miles from where he'd gone missing. In two days, he had managed to traverse 20 miles of a desert. Oddly, the boy was in remarkably good condition, especially considering that he had no water, yet he was not dehydrated. He showed no signs of negative effects from exposure, even though nighttime temperatures had dropped to below freezing. It was uncertain just how the boy had disappeared, how he had covered so much distance again over harsh terrain, and why he was in such good health. When they asked the boy what had happened, he had no memory of the trip or how he had gotten to where he was, which, in my book, is very odd. This is a seven-year-old boy and not mentally disabled. He should have had a very keen recollection of what had happened to him over the past 48 hours. And yet, here we are, he has no memory of what happened. So that one is another mystery. Then there's the case of a two-year-old boy who went missing near the Umatilla National Forest. Umatilla? Umatilla? I don't know. It's in Oregon. It's a national forest. Although the boy was found 19 hours later, he was discovered in an area 12 miles away through rough mountainous terrain. Starting to see a pattern here? This would have been very difficult for an adult experienced hiker, let alone a two-year-old boy. Absolutely impossible for such a young child to have traversed that, especially in the amount of time. 19 hours later, they had found him 12 miles away. And this is another one in which, depending on what source you look at, it goes from alien abduction, but also Bigfoot, Sasquatch. And again, they have no idea what happened to the two-year-old boy. I don't know how they could try and get some information out of him, but apparently they tried to get information out of him, but he had no explanation as to what had happened to him. Now let's move on to another young boy, three-year-old Jared Atadero, Atadero? I don't know, who in October of 1999 was staying with his father at a Christian retreat lodge at Pudre Mountain, Pudre Canyon in Colorado. Now he was out with 12 of the Christian group members on a hike along the Big South Trail when he somehow got ahead of the group and he was talking to some fishermen along that river. Now, he was asking if they'd seen any bears, to which they replied that the boy should get back with the others. Those fishermen would be the last ones to see Jared alive ever. Now, again, a massive search party happened. They used bloodhounds and aircraft, but they were unable to find any trace of the boy. It was assumed that he had fallen into the frigid river and had drowned. This one, sadly, they did find him, and it was four years later. On June 4th, 2003, his remains were discovered up in a remote, inaccessible area up a steep incline, about 500 feet above the trail he had vanished on. And this is where the case gets weird. On the dead boy's cranium, they found a series of odd scratches that were assumed to be from a mountain lion. But here's the problem. Experts pointed out that a cougar would have torn at the sweater and the body near the neck and the stomach. There was no damage to the sweater or the body in that area. In fact, there were no other apparent injuries on the body. Forensic experts on the case said that the source of the scratches could not be determined. They were not from any known animal. So, skeptics, there you go. These are forensic experts, and they're saying this is from no known animal. Another odd detail about the body 
was that the boy's clothes had been turned inside out and a single tooth from his mouth had been found placed on a nearby log. Also incredibly strange, the tooth was laying on the very top of the log with no moss or vegetation covering the tooth. Remember, supposedly, that tooth was sitting on that log for four years. The other odd thing is that the clothes and the shoes themselves were surprisingly still brightly colored and new looking, considering that supposedly, again, they'd been out in the elements for four years. This is another one where there's not a lot of explanation as to how he got up to the area he got up to, why they didn't find the body four years prior to that because of the insanely massive search party. It should have... They should have been able to spot him up there, yet they didn't. And again, remember, I'm going with the forensic experts on this one. It's not from any known animal, so I don't know what happened to that poor boy. Let's move on to 8-year-old Douglas Legg, who went missing on July 10th, 1971, as he was out hiking with his uncle in the South Adirondacks. As they were hiking, Douglas's uncle told him to head back to camp in order to get some long pants as the trail was overgrown with poison ivy and he didn't want the boy to get hurt. It should not have been any problem at all, since the camp was a short distance away and Douglas was described as being, quote, an avid hiker with a lot of experience in the woods. He was also very familiar with the area in question. So the boy went off, but like the others, they never saw him again. During the search, teams of bloodhounds were used and they followed the scent for around 30 miles over difficult terrain. And this terrain was again choked with brush and trees which would have been nearly impossible for such a young boy to have navigated on his own. Yet, the trail seemed to suddenly just end. Some animal tracks were found nearby, and they were thought to be bare animal tracks. But, the experts again say, it's unclear if any relation, if it's any relation to the missing boy. It could have just been 30 miles away, they found some bear tracks. Again, it's 30 miles from where the boy disappeared. It wasn't like they were finding bear tracks for the entire 30 miles. They went 30 miles, the trail ended. Right around where the trail ended, they found bear tracks. It might just be a coincidence. Now, again, with most of the people that have gone missing, Douglas's body was never found, and he's never been seen again. Had enough of these yet? Well, I apologize, but I've got a couple more. In 1978, a three-year-old girl went missing from her family's cabin, and she was missing for hours when the search party began. The search dogs stopped near the river, so again, they thought she fell in and she drowned. So they searched downriver and nothing was found. A few hours later, though, the search dogs found one of her sandals uphill from where she disappeared. The next morning, a fisherman found a completely tattered tank top a few miles from the cabin. Simultaneously, a hiker recalled hearing what he took for giggling and a child's voice hours earlier in the dark near a bridge. Now, all these men had solid alibis for the night before, so, so you don't have to worry about that. They weren't involved in her disappearance. Now, while they were talking to these men, this girl was found. She was found five miles up from the road. She was found five miles up the road across a very slippery creek just above a huge waterfall. And she was completely nude. A car that was coming down from another campground saw her just standing there in a daze. Now, she wasn't upset. She was just dazed. Obviously, they stopped, picked her up, and took her to the local police. Now, they said that she wasn't cold, she wasn't sunburned, she wasn't hurt in any way. 
They did say, though, that her feet and legs were a little bit scratched up, but the bottoms of her feet were perfect. So even though she didn't have shoes on and she was found nude, she was seemingly okay. They couldn't explain how the tank top got tattered as much as it did. They couldn't explain what happened to her sandals, where the rest of her clothes were. But when they asked her what had happened, she said she wasn't taken or held against her will. But she did talk about following, quote, a bear man. So guess who's to blame for this one? Sasquatch yet again. This is another one where Bigfoot has been attributed to this disappearance. Now, thankfully, she was found. She was found alive and seems to be okay. Still very bizarre. Now, I got to stop right here and say that there's been a, a lot of pretty good work on the subject, on this subject, by author David Paulides. I'll be honest, though, when I looked into him and his theories, he very quickly in the book pushes you towards Bigfoot when there is no evidence that... Uh, that Bigfoot had anything to do with it. Now, I'm not talking about this last case with the girl, but I'm talking about this book by David Polides. I think it's called like Missing 401 or something. I've read most of it. It's got a lot of great information. It's got a lot of great tales, but he does seem to want to lead you down the paranormal trail pretty damn quickly, in my opinion. So I've just told you a whole crap ton of stories about very strange disappearances, but now let's talk about the patterns that started to emerge in these disappearances, one of the first things that he discovered that this David Polides discovered is one thing I talked about earlier, and that's these clusters of disappearances throughout the country. 52 clearly defined geographic regions have been identified, but again, like I said earlier, all of these clusters are located near the most famous national parks, parks where people go every year on vacation. So I don't know about that. But what I will give this guy credit for is meticulously researching thousands of these cases. And he found other odd similarities or patterns, such as search dogs behaving strangely. And I got to say, I found that same pattern when I was going over these stories as well. It wasn't a straight shot of they brought the search dogs and they couldn't find them. There is a lot of cases where the search dogs behave very strangely and not in character at all. These are experienced search dogs that didn't have any other issues on other cases, but on these specific cases, they acted very strangely. They didn't want to walk. They simply laid down. And it's not just the search dogs. Cadaver dogs were also brought in that should have found bodies, but failed to locate them. And this is the same instances where they did find the bodies nearby at a later time. Yet these cadaver dogs could find no traces of them. It was very odd. The next one, the bodies found in an area that had been searched before. And again, that's something else I picked up on right away. Search parties went through these areas with a fine-tooth comb, yet couldn't find anybody. And then right after that, the body was found. It's really bizarre. One of the odd things that David Polides noticed is that the missing people tend to travel uphill instead of downhill. And they're often found at very high levels of elevation, such as mountain peaks. Also, he noticed that the victims frequently will travel an astounding amount of miles through treacherous terrain that is seemingly impossible for even the most experienced hikers. And it's very odd. Now, one thing I didn't talk about in these tales is weather-related phenomenon. Shortly after a kid goes missing, the forecast takes a drastic turn. Torrential rains, lightning, fog, sandstorms, or blizzards occur which delay search parties. Now, I'm taking that one with a grain of salt because these are national parks. 
these are areas, these are remote areas where the weather can turn on a dime. So I don't know about that one. Uh, missing clothing. One thing that he noticed patterns on a lot of these, and I'm talking again, thousands of missing people, thousands and thousands of missing people is missing clothing. Shoes, pants, shirts, jackets are often removed even by children that are too young to do it themselves. Also, clothing is sometimes found neatly folded. Even though the person is never found again, their clothing are found very neatly folded. Um, one of the things he said that he found, which again, I couldn't find any proof of, were high amounts of plane crashes. Search planes and search helicopters seem to crash at abnormally high rates during these specific cases. I couldn't find anything to corroborate that, so I don't know about that. Um, this is when it gets a little bit odder. He's saying there's a pattern of German ancestry with the disappearances. Okay. Uh, extreme ends of the intellectual scale. Well-educated people all the way down to the mentally disabled are missing. I don't know what the pattern is there. It's good information, and hopefully one day all of this information can be put into a database, and hopefully something will come up. But as of right now, I'm not exactly sure what that is. But this is an interesting one, though. Boulder fields of granite and quartz. Now, some listeners will remember that granite and quartz deposits do have a strong connection with paranormal events. Again, we're talking national parks, so there will be high concentrations of granite and quartz. So I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but that one did catch my eye. Now, there are a lot more patterns that I'm not going to talk about. Those are the ones that I found kind of interesting or very odd. So let's talk about some of the paranormal connections. Fairies, or more specifically, the Noonhi, either take or look after children. So what are these things? Well, it's a Native American fairy. Again, it's supposed to be a supernatural being. Think of them as a Native American fairy. Now, there's been many stories about these Native American fairies either taking care of kids that have gone missing or leading kids away from their families. And it's really odd that these stories seem to go back for centuries as well. So that might explain why some of these kids seemingly stop following their parents and just go off alone or just go off alone by themselves if they're being guided away by a supernatural entity. And next up, you heard them a number of times. It's Bigfoot. There are more than a few instances where Bigfoot was seen or, quote, a bear man, ape man, hairy man were talked about by either witnesses or the person that had disappeared. So Bigfoot's getting a bad rap on this one because he seems to be taking kids. I don't know why, or taking hikers even, and I don't know why. I'd like to think that Bigfoot are peaceful unless you harass them and then they try to get you away from them, but I don't want to think about Sasquatch abducting kids or abducting people. Now this next one, you know it was coming. It's UFOs. Between the time lapses, the distances traveled, the dogs acting bizarrely, and the appearances of those odd storms that he was talking about, UFOs are often attributed to these disappearances. And to me, again, not surprisingly. What I will say, though, is that I couldn't find any evidence where the search party saw a UFO or witnesses saw a UFO or hikers nearby saw a UFO at the time of the disappearances. So... I don't know. I think people might be reaching for stuff as well. And there's other cryptids as well. It's not just Bigfoot. There's dogmen and the lizard people are also included in some of these stories. But again, no proof for these. So I don't know about that. Now, this one is kind of odd, though. 
some of the stories even include the men in black. There are reports of men in black suits being seen around some of the disappearances and the abductions. In one story, a 10-year-old girl that disappeared was found hours later locked in her mother's car and she was delirious. She's 10 years old and she's in a locked car. She knows how to get out. It's not like she used two years old in a locked car. This is a 10-year-old girl. When they found her and finally calmed her down, she talked about a man in black that looked strange that kept trying to get in the car to, quote, take her on a trip with him. So do I think something odd is going on? Most definitely. But I also think that hiking in a national park is dangerous. It's very easy to slip, fall, drown, become discombobulated, become dinner to a known wild animal. National parks are dangerous. Woods are dangerous. And beyond that, there are people around. These are national parks with people around. There's often talks about strange mountain men that aren't part of society, that live out in the woods. People are dangerous. Just as dangerous as wild animals, people can abduct and kill and take and do horrific things to other people. So let's not pass that one off. It doesn't have to be paranormal. It could just be crazy effing people in the woods. Now, I get that this doesn't explain all or even most of these. And some of them do point to something extraordinary happening. I get that. But... Do I think that every one of these people were abducted by aliens or walked into a parallel dimension or time traveled or were taken by fairies? No, I don't think that. But there is something odd going on. I can't contribute at all to strange mountain people or known animals or drowning or slipping or falling or whatever because of the time frames and the distances traveled. There is something very extraordinary going on. And I'm sure that right now there's a bunch of skeptics that are going to dismiss the paranormal completely and just chalk it up to woods are dangerous. I can't necessarily disagree with you. Woods are dangerous. But again, if you keep going, these are only a, this is only a small percentage of the stories I could find. I could have kept going, but it was starting to depress me, and I don't know how many more of these before it would have started to depress you. So I didn't want to keep going. I didn't want to keep piling on. But let me just tell you, there is something more happening here. And again, even if it's only a small percentage of the disappearances, I personally think something more is going on. It's very odd, and I and you don't really hear that much about it. That's why I wanted to talk about this one this week, because it's not a widely told story that all these thousands and thousands of people are disappearing from national parks. So what do you guys think? So it's that time of the episode. What do you guys think? What's happening in these national parks? What's happening to these kids and these experienced hikers and these people? How are they disappearing so quickly? And how are they found so far away or seen or spotted so far away in very remote spots? I can't explain it. Can you? Well, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac.
Plus, a pesky scanner feeder style of nistrish dish.